This is Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital channel Carnival. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel in Melbourne, Carnival, via rsn.net.au and the RSN Racing and Sport app. This program is also available as a podcast on the RSN website, plus via Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud and Spotify. Just search for Women's Australian Rules Football Radio. Our special guests for this week include Ashleen Curley, the Irish recruit for the Collingwood VFLW side, plus the participants in the AFL London Women's League Premiership Division Grand Final this weekend. Co-coach of the North London Lions, Jay Trelaw, and captain of the Wands Demons, Priscilla Lodge. That's coming up a little bit later on in the program, plus our international and state leagues wrap. But first, to the woman we spoke to back in September at the Crosscoders camp. Now she's starring in the VFLW with the Magpies, Ashlyn Curley. Joining us now here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival is an Irish woman we spoke last with back in September when she took part in the Crosscoders program. A couple of months after that program, she would fly to Melbourne to take part in a pre-season with the Collingwood VFLW squad. She'd be signed on. She's played nine games so far, averaging per match eight disposals, one goal and five tackles. Plus, she featured in that important play which saw Sophie Alexander kick the goal after the siren for the win against the Tigers last Sunday at Punt Road Oval. It's our privilege to have on the line Ashling Curley. Ashling, how are you? Yeah, I'm not too bad at all. I want to throw this stat at you. Since you made your debut in round two for the Pies and the VFLW, they have not lost a game. Um, I'm not too sure if that's um, to um, me playing or not, but it's yeah, it's great to be involved in a in a team that's um, you know on a winning streak. But it kind of it shows, I think, the, the development that comes with um, with the, with playing with, with Collingwood and the you know a mixture of the VFL and AFL and how we're able to keep that winning streak going. Let's take a step back to when we last spoke in September. Um, it was literally a few days beforehand. You'd just met your fellow Irish women uh, for the first time in Dublin before jumping on a plane to come to Melbourne to be part of the Crosscoders program. After that program had finished, um, a handful of the players had been signed to AFLW contracts. Mm-hmm. When did you make the decision then to say, that's it, I'm jumping back on a plane to come back to Melbourne and I'm really giving this a go? Um, I suppose kind of with myself, um, I kind of differed um, than the other girls did at the camp. Um, I was planning on coming to Australia to and flying to Sydney on a working holiday visa. So a few of the, the clubs kind of got wind of that. And the discussions that I had with them would have been more about me actually coming to, to Melbourne instead and, and giving VFL a go um, and see how I progress with then the, the potential to um, get signed for, for 2020. So that was kind of where my discussions were. So... Um, yeah, I went home, had a bit more of a, a think about what I wanted to do and then, yeah, made the decision to, to come across. Out of all the clubs that spoke to you, what attracted you most to the Collingwood Football Club? Um, yeah, so I suppose um, it would have been um, the development programs that they had in place for their, their VFL girls um, and then that linked up then to the, the AFLW. So um, that was kind of something that really stood out to me when I initially started conversations with them. Um, and that was kind of um, yeah, what I based my decision off was their, their, their development program. And we know you needed some help in the development because when we spoke to you in September, you say you were talking about uh, the ball drop technique and how it was different from Gaelic football to Aussie rules. 
and also working on your tackling technique. Now, we know by the stats you've been having a fantastic year, averaging about five tackles a game. In fact, it got to about a high of around about seven a game early in the season. Can you talk about the process of developing that tackling technique throughout the preseason? Yeah, so as opposed to me from um, Gaelic football, my um, tackling techniques would have been um, non-existent. So um, I was kind of, yeah, starting from scratch with that. But um, I mean, the, the girls around me as well at training uh, really helped and, you know, it's, you know, pulled aside and they really focused in on um, on that actual technique and what it is. It's not just, you know, running in and wrapping someone up, but there is a bit of technique involved. So they really did help me with that um, from a coach coaching standpoint and the, the girls as well um, helped me on that. Now, besides the obvious difference in weathers for the pre-season, not a cold uh, winter in yeah. Ireland, but a very hot summer in Melbourne that you did your pre-season, uh, can you talk about the difference uh, when it came to that training load for you during the pre-season compared to Gaelic football in terms, for example, of running and weight training, etc.? Yeah, it's um, it's probably more structured um, within the the VFL program compared to what it, what it would have been back home. And um, there's very clear um, kind of goals um, that we need to to reach um, and and to be able to um, you know bring that then onto onto a game day. And um, so that would be something that would really stand out to me the, with the difference. Now, obviously, because you were out here before the AFLW season and through it, um, as you waited for the VFLW to kick off, did they show you much what happened behind the scenes on AFLW game day? For example, do they put you in the rooms, etc., just to get an idea of the match day atmosphere, what the process is about everyone preparing to go out there and recovery, etc.? Um, I think, you know, the, the main thing is about it with Collingwood and, and why it's, it's a great development program leading into the, the AFLW is that they really emphasise um, the VFL as just kind of a lead into the AFLW program. So everything that they do um, kind of mimics what would what what's um, expected um, when you do step up to, to AFLW. So there wouldn't really be much, um, like, kind of anything that differs in, in that regard to match prep training uh, and recovery were still all expected to, to carry on the same way. So that was also something that I found kind of really beneficial then that Collingwood kind of have in their in their programme. So leading into the start of the VFLW season, you actually missed round one, if I'm correct. You actually, I think, had a bit of a hamstring twinge. I did, yeah. So um, I think I was a bit too gung-ho and trying to, to train a bit too much and um, try and bring my skill level up. So I had a little bit of a twinge, but again, Collingwood um, and the, the physios were, were very good and... Um, Kind of, I was back then, I think, a bit sooner than expected as well to, to make it for round two, which was great. And you did. You made your debut in round two. Mm-hmm. At what point of the season did you finally start to go to yourself, to, to leaving the numbers aside, going, right, I'm comfortable, I'm out here, I understand the flow of the game? Um, I'd nearly even say um, I'm still trying to adjust and get comfortable with, with playing. Um, last week, I kind of felt like I got into the game a bit more than... Um, Kind of did than previous games, and um, it's still kind of a big learning curve uh, for me. But um, yeah, kind of settling in a bit more to to my role and trying to play a bit more on instinct and a bit more naturally than focusing on you know structures and, and how the game differs. But just trying to you know just play play fully. I guess yeah. <laughs> Who's been your most valuable asset at Collingwood when it comes to learning off of? Um. I think honestly, it's there's no there's no one person. Um, you know, a few girls you know have pulled me aside, you know, the AFLW girls, um, and have really kind of given me some some guidance. Um, I suppose that the coaches probably wouldn't pick up during during training or during um gameplay. The girls that she just pulled me aside, um, and kind of give me a few pointers and, and tips and and what I need to be doing and focusing on. So 
that's really helped as well. And um, it's not just kind of one person. And um, it's you know it's like a, all the girls are really really helpful. How have you found it being under Penny Kuller Reed as your coach, and as well, how does she compare to I guess the coaching slash managerial styles of those managers you've played under in Gaelic football? Um, so yeah, kind of Penny's kind of been a, a you know a great help to me, and um, we um, we both um, play with the St Kilda Sharks as well. Um, I had a, a run out there a few weeks ago with them, and was able to play alongside Penny. Um, but yeah, so she, I find like she's great. She's so easy to uh, talk to, and and um, you know she she's really really helpful, and she really focuses on um, the development of players, and and does the best that she can to get the best out of um, each individual. You talk about the St Kilda Sharks. They're listed as your community club. Therefore, for whatever mm-hmm. reason, if you weren't selected to play for Collingwood, you would play for the St Kilda Sharks. A fellow crosscoder and Amanda Magan is there at the Sharks. Yeah. Uh, can you t- tell yeah. how much of a role the Sharks have played uh, since your stay in Melbourne? Um, yeah, so it's, it's kind of a, it's been really good um, being able to have the Sharks as my community club. Um, I would have started off um, training with um, with the Sharks. Um, uh, obviously, with, a, with Amanda there, she kind of gave me that intro um, to them as well. Um, but yeah, it's, I think it's just the footy culture over here is just great. Um, able to you know fit in very quickly um, with the, with the Sharks and the girls, and they kind of um, the fact that I've moved over as well, they kind of think that it's um, you know it's a, it's a big commitment, and they kind of they appreciate that. So it's um, yeah, no, it's been it's been really really good and really easy to to fit in uh, over here with with them. You said since you've moved over, obviously through the working holiday visa, which you were originally going to do in Sydney. Uh, what has it yeah. been like, uh, the work-slash-tourist life balance with your footy balance? Um, what are you doing, I guess, in your days, and how many days a week are you working around that with training? Um, so at the minute, um, I'm, um, I'm working on hopefully getting sponsored um, with the current company I'm, I'm working for. So I'm working Monday to Friday. Uh, which is great. So I'm, um, you know, have my weekends off, um, and then it's fairly flexible. I'm able to get to training in the evenings and things like that. So work doesn't really um, affect um, footy that much. But yeah, that's in the that's in my plan anyway is to try and get sponsors to stay here a bit longer than just the, on the work and holiday visa. Let's focus back on the weekend just gone. You took on Richmond at the Swinburne Centre, better known to us locals as Punt Road Oval, in which it was a thrilling finish. In fact, you took part in that final play, which saw Sophie Alexander kick the goal when Lynch knocked the ball down. You got the hand pass out the back, and which saw the original drive forward. Have the nerves come down? Can you recall those dying seconds of that thrilling victory? Um, I suppose that's uh, it's one thing that um, is kind of drilled into us is just to, to keep playing to our, our game style and structure. Um, like Richmond put on a, a lot of pressure on us um, and the fact that we kind of were able to um, push on and, and keep going to, to the game plan um, against that stance to, to the girls. Um, and I don't really re- remember much of the actual um the post was getting the goal, but um, had a quick look at the footage, and um, yeah, it was just it was just great to, to get the win. Um, yeah, <laughs> where Collingwood are positioned on the ladder at the moment, it looks just about all but certain they're going to have a top two spot, which means the double chance in the finals. They cannot be knocked out of the top six. What does it mean to you to, in your first year playing Aussie Rules football, that you're going to be taking part in a state league final series? Um, I can say that I definitely didn't um, think that it would be, be like this. I had no idea what to expect coming into um, into the VFLW season. Um, but yeah, I've, I've loved it, loved it so far. And the fact that it's um, we're getting into finals now just makes it a bit more exciting and um, kind of put a bit more focus on on kind of doing what we can to keep going where we are. As you come into the finals and obviously thinking ahead 
for your possible AFLW career. What more do you want to focus on in your game development to try and improve to get the best out of your performance? Um, yeah, I suppose it comes down to um, understanding the game a bit more. Um, my kicking and my skills can, you know, there's always improvement there. Um, yeah, and it's just trying to, you know, for myself, um, just kind of play a bit more on instinct and, and start really enjoying playing footy um, and just kind of growing more as a, as a player, um, which is, I'm kind of really excited to see how, how um, that takes shape. Is it a nervous time for you? Because um, at the moment, you can't be signed to Collingwood as an AFLW rookie simply because they've used up all their rookie spots now. Ironically, it was Ashling Sheridan, a fellow crosscoder, who managed yeah. to get that uh, final spot. There's still the possibility that Collingwood can draft you because it's happened before. Ash Brazell, who was a um, former netballer, was actually taken in the draft by Collingwood. Is a bit of a nervous time knowing that, OK, Collingwood need to take you in the draft, but by being in the draft, you could be taken, but by another club. Yeah, I suppose um, it's, it's, it is a bit up in the air at the minute. Um, but um, I kind of haven't really, really thought much about um, kind of what that looks like for me. I'm just trying to progress um, as best I can um, and improve as best I can um, as, a, as, a, as a player. Um, and kind of whatever happens, happens. Um, I kind of decided to come out here and take that chance to, to play footy, not knowing exactly what was going to happen. So I just kind of have to keep that, that open mind coming into the draft. And um, yeah, whatever happens, happens. And I'll be either way. I'm, I'm kind of, yeah, I'm glad I, I came out and made that move um, in the first place. Um, either by yourself or in discussions with the club, you talked about, I guess, mental switch-off time come post-VFLW season because if the Pies make it all the way, make it to the grand final, it's at the back end of September. And if you get taken in the AFLW draft, you start early November pre-season training. So there's about five, six-week gap between the both. Has there been talk about, okay, for the five or six weeks, you need to go away, do the tourist stuff around Australia, just switch off from football before you may need to switch on again? Um, that kind of hasn't really come up in, in any discussions. It's um, kind of the first time really, um, you know, you've brought it up now that I've had to, to think about it. But um, yeah, I'm sure I'll kind of probably go away and um, have a few weeks for myself. But um, yeah, I'd be raring to go if I do get um, the chance to play SLW. We know you've obviously made friends through the Crosscoders program, but since you've come to the Pies, who would you, out of your teammates, classify as your closest buddies off the field? Um. Amanda McGinn uh, would definitely be uh, one of my closest pals now over here. Um, when Ash McCarthy was here as well, we would have, you know, uh, caught up a few times. Um, and the same with um, Ailish and um, Ashling Sheridan when they came down from the NT. So I think um, coming from the cross-coders, we're all still very much um, kind of stay in touch um, and connected with each other. Um, and just excited to see how um, each of us go, so, which, is, which is really nice. Um, which, yeah, it was great to come from the, the camp and to keep that connection. Bar from footy, is there anything about the Melbourne culture that surprised you? Um, not really, no. It, it reminds me a lot um, of back home, which I think is probably something that um, it helps me settle in a bit to, to Melbourne life. Obviously, the weather during the summer is great. Um, very, very different than back home. But, yeah, um, very, very easy to, to settle into Melbourne life. Um, depending if you play AFLW or not, uh, IC2020 rolls around in August next year. Have you been approached to play for the Irish Banshees and uh, would you be keen to represent your country? Um, so, yes, um, I would have um, kind of gone back from the, the camp and played in the Euro Cup last year. Um, myself, Ailish, um, Ashley McCarthy and Marais, um all four of us kind of went back and, and played with, with Ireland and that. So if the opportunity was to come around, um, yes, definitely, I, I'd love to, to give it a go. But, um as of yet, nothing's been, nothing's been said. I think they're focused on the European Championships at the minute that's um, coming up in London 
um, the start of October. So I think that's where they're so focused is at the minute. And of course, um, back home, uh, you played with the Moorfield GAA club and in the Kildare Gaelic Football Association. Since you've been out here and, and having fairly good success with Collingwood, has there been many calls from home from former teammates and friends uh, associated in Gaelic football about making the inquiry of coming over and uh, spending a, a winter in Australia playing Aussie rules? Um, yeah, so that's definitely something that I've seen um, pick up back home is the, the interest in, in AFL. Um, you know, the, the number of girls that um, were in the camp this year in Ireland, um, you know, has grown um, a lot more since, you know, when we were in the camp last year and the interest has just grown. Um, we can even see in the in the league back home in Ireland, um, you know, it's, I think, from, gone from four teams to five or six teams now. Um, and there's, yeah, definitely a lot more interest um, from the from Gaelic footballers um, to, to see what it's all about. How have you found the support from the Collingwood fans? Because uh, there's a hardcore support, particularly of a good 50 or so that follow the team each week, week in and week out everywhere. Yeah, um, I think they're, they're they're great. They're kind of they're starting to um, make themselves um, known to me. So just kind of, they're very, very encouraging and, and saying that um, you know, I'm improving week on week, which is which is great. And finally, one last question before we let you go. What would it mean to you if by this stage next year we were saying Ashlyn Curley, AFL women's footballer? Um, I suppose, yeah, that would kind of, it would be, um, yeah, that's something that I'm, you know, my, my ultimate goal coming out here is to, to get there. Um, at the minute, I'm just trying to enjoy the process um, of developing myself as a footy player. I'm still very, very new to the, to the sport. But yeah, that'd be, that's my ultimate goal and at the end of the day. Um, and, um, yeah, looking forward to, to seeing what's going to happen in the next few weeks. Well, Ashlyn, thank you very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival, and we wish you and the Pies all the very best for the upcoming finals series this September. Thank you, Peter. And you can catch the Magpies in action against Carlton this Sunday, 11 a.m. at Victoria Park as part of round 13 of the Swiss Wellness VFL Women's Competition. Let's turn our focus to the international scene now, the AFL London Women's League. The second week of the finals was played over the weekend. Let's catch up with Mariana Graham. And joining us on the line now from London to take a look back at another week of finals in the AFL London Women's League. It's great to have on the line Mariana Graham. Maz, how are you? Good, thanks, Peter. How are you? Feeling fantastic because it's finals football and week two of the three-week final series in London was held over the weekend, including, first of all, the Women's Conference Grand Final and what a dominant season it was for the London Swans. It was. We sort of, um, we had, just after we spoke last week, there was a, an issue with the Putney team, which meant that, unfortunately, they um, they lost their spot in the grand final and uh, it went to the Demons. So, um, but the Swans had been played consistently all season. They hadn't lost a game. And we kind of sort of like thought the result would go this way. Um, I did expect maybe a little bit closer. Didn't expect a nil result by, by the... Um, by the Demons, but the London Swans took it out 6-20-56 to zero. Um, um, Bagley scored two goals for them, and then they had single scorers, Smith, Winkler, Lewis, and Lyons. So it was well done to the London Swans. They definitely deserved to win this one. And it'll be very interesting to see, obviously, if they go up to the Premiership division next year to make a uh, six-team competition. 
Yeah, that's right. So we'll be having chats, I think, once the season's over to see if uh, they're willing to join the rest of the team. So congratulations again to the London Swans. Let's turn our attention to the Premiership Division. After week one, the North London Lions had booked their spot into the grand final. The Wandsworth Demons were sent the long way around. They had to take on the Wildcats in the preliminary final. Yeah, they did. Um, and by all accounts, it sounded like it was quite it was quite a good uh, close match. So, and Demons have all, the only game that they lost this season was against the North London Lions. So they definitely deserve to make it to the grand final. Um, it means that it's going to be quite, I think, closely contested grand final match on Saturday. Yeah, let's have a look at that game. Um, the North London Lions, two years in a row, had beaten the Demons in a uh, major semi-final. Um, last time around, as we know, that uh, the Demons got the better of the Lions on grand final day. The question is, can the Lions back it up and beat the Demons, or is it just a little blip on the radar? Will the Demons take out the Premiership and book another ticket to the Champions League? Well, so I've looked at the scores for this game uh, throughout the season, and I think the first game the Demons beat the Lions quite quite easily. In the second game, the Lions fought back, still lost by by a couple goals, and then they seem to have beaten the Demons by goal in in the first final. So, I don't know. I think it will be it will be quite close. I mean, if you go on uh, on on how the season's gone, you would kind of expect the Demons to to maybe pick the Lions at the post, but. I think the last half of the season, the Lions have been a bit more consistent. Um, and I would be I'm almost going to tip an upset here and say that the Lions will come out and just pick the Demons. So you're going for the Lions in an upset. I think the Lions supporters will be very happy to hear that. Yeah, so I think the Lions have got um, some decent players coming through. Some of their GB players hopefully playing in that game. Um, the Demons have just generally been strong for the last three seasons. So it's been quite hard to actually to to beat them um, but I think this Lions team that they've got has been they've worked well the last couple of years and each year they've got closer and closer so yeah upset I think by probably no more than goal I reckon and for any Aussies listening in London or for Aussies anywhere around the globe that know their Aussie friends that are over in London uh, where should they be heading to this weekend and when to check out not only the women's grand final but uh, four grand finals in total along with the men being played uh, on this Saturday Yes, yeah, so we've got a great day of footy on Saturday. So it's all being played out at the London Swans home ground in Hackney Marshes. Um, the first game is the men's social that starts off at 10 o'clock, so it's bright and early. Um, and then the women's premiership game will follow at, is the third game of the day, so it's at 1.30pm. So that at 1.30pm, which roughly equates to about 10.30pm Saturday night Melbourne time, in case you can find a stream online yeah, somewhere right. to be able to uh, enjoy that grand final. I'm not sure that we'll have live streaming, but um, the Facebook page and the Twitter page should be updating people with the results. Well, Maz, thanks very much again for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. We look forward to hearing from you next week with a review of how the grand final went down. No problem. Thanks, Peter. So that's Maz's tip, the North London Lions to win in a close one. Let's see what the participants think. On the other side of the break, we'll catch up with the North London Lions co-coach and the captain of the Wandsworth Demons. There's jumpers, hoodies and tees for you at leaguetees.com.au. 
tees.com.au is your place for retro footy gear with designs created by local artists that you won't find anywhere else. Plus, their unique range of women's footy tees help raise funds for Indigenous literacy programs. Get online and start shopping today. You're listening to Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. I'm Peter Holden. Thanks for your company. A big weekend in London at Hackney Marshes this Saturday for the AFL London Women's League Premiership Division Grand Final. It's between the North London Lions and the Wandsworth Demons. Who will win? Maz reckons it's going to be the Lions and a close one in an upset. Let's check in with what the participants think. First of all, to the North London Lions. Now joining us on the line here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival as we look at the AFL London Women's League Premiership Division Grand Final. We've got on the line the co-coach of the North London Lions and Jay Trelaw. Jay, how are you? Uh, really good, mate. Really excited for the week ahead. I really should ask you, how are the nerves at the moment as we count down the sleeps to the Grand Final? Uh, fair to say, um, productivity this week is at a, at an all time low. I'm still pretty focused on on the on the week ahead in terms of footy and, and making sure everything's in place for the girls come Saturday. Let's just talk about the line season for the moment. Um, you just sneaked into second spot. It was a bit of a nail biter in a race between yourselves and the West London Wildcats. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I think it, it's a fair reflection of, of the season. Um, at Demons getting away with um, first place pretty comfortably, and then us and, and Wildcats who are very much an improving side and sort of going neck and neck. So I think it was fitting that it sort of came down to, I think it was a points differential in the end. Um, but overall, I think our where we finished matched the season, matched our aims and I guess matched our, um, what what we had set as realistic targets for, for the start of the season as, as not only a coaching group, but a playing group as well. Before we have a look at the finals, for the home and away season overall, who were some of your standout players? I think it was a really interesting year because we've, you know, we've had um, a lot of, as is the situation with London, you have a lot of people coming through, so you had a lot of new players. But excitingly, we had a lot of, um, for lack of a better phrase, a lot of old heads hanging around, which is really helpful to sort of getting some consistency in the side. And people like uh, Kylie Rusto and and Laura Ramadan-Town are like just consistent as always, and you know what you're going to get. Um, down forward, we uh, were expecting to have uh, Kat Rodriguez, our, our new president for the year, but she went down with an injury early on in the piece, um, but sort of upstepped uh, a couple of other girls in Steph and uh, Heather, who who really put their mark on the side and, and gave us a couple of new fresh targets and, and really, I guess, opened up mine and, and co-coach uh, Kappa's minds as to the options that we had down there. But likewise, I think... Um, Important to sort of to look at, at the non-Australians in this in the side as they're a big part of this team. And um, Pauline across half back has been outstanding, um, and and others as well. Joe Strong's come on tremendously in the in the forward pocket and, and offered us plenty down there. So the options have really grown this year, and it's been real really pleasing as a coach to see people take on board the things that you, you set out at the start of the season, and then really taken on board individually and as a group to to really achieve those things. Looking at the three times you played the Wandsworth Demons this season, you reduced the margin from the first game loss to the second game loss, yep. and then eventually won in a yep. thriller against them in the semi-final. What do you put down to that improvement? 
Well, I think I think it's going into the season first and foremost with a healthy respect for you know the reigning premiers and knowing full well that they've got a really healthy base of players to choose from, um, not only through their location but also that they've got two sides, we've got just the one, and taking that on board. But looking more so at focusing on our game and and using them as the benchmark but building our game and all the good things we did last year and improving on those and looking to make progress. And each time we, we played them, it was looking at, okay, what didn't work last time and what did and let's do more of what did and, and less of what didn't. And and coming up with a, a really effective game plan. And, and I think we didn't surprise ourselves in that qualifying final. We had a plan, we stuck to it and we executed it really well. And I think I think everyone who, who watched the game would, would agree it was a really exciting game of football and it was only get right down to the last couple of minutes before we managed to, to, to sneak in front and I think it's a fair reflection of, of where the two sides are at at the moment. So from your point of opinion, when you were talking about the plan, what did you feel went right in that game to get the Chocolates over the Demons? I think look, they 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 very they're very well drilled side, and they've got clear structures in, in the way that they played, and, and it was about having having those ideas ourselves, and and, and making sure everyone understood their roles in the team, and that everyone knew what they needed to do from start to finish, and then it happened start to finish because I think very much in that second game there were really good passages of play, but when the moments we went to sleep, demons showed that, that they are a classy side, and and they put us they, they put us to bed when they needed to in that second game. And that's why they sort of ran out eventual winners in that one. Whereas in this last game, in the qualifying final, we were able to do all the things that myself and Kappa were asking of the group and, and do it from start to finish with, with very, very few minor lapses in, in our play. The previous year, you'd beaten the Demons in the semi-final to have the week off to go through to the grand final, which the Demons would eventually win. Did you treat the week yep. off this year any differently? Um, I think we we made a decision as coaches. We 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 wanted to put our own stamp on it. We did we did something slightly different. We trained as normal Tuesday, Thursday, and, and Saturday rather than having additional training. All that we asked is that everyone was active and and doing the right things to look after themselves, and, and that we get along and, and supported our boys who were in the prelim but were unsuccessful. But I think it was just a case of let's create our own identity. Let's not do what things have happened in the past. Not that they didn't work, but it was just a case of we wanted to put our own stamp on the side and our own stamp on this year. Without giving away too much from watching the preliminary final for which the Demons beat the Wildcats, was there anything that you learnt from the Demons uh, from that game that they perhaps didn't show in the semi-final that you've got to consider when it comes to the grand final? I think you sort of having mentioned earlier, like one of the things that, that we have for the demons and that's healthy respect and that's because they're at a consistent level. They've got their structures, they play to those and they execute them very well in, in the games that they play. And I, I don't think there was anything, anything new. It was just more of a, I guess, a consolidation of the things that we already knew and the, and the types of people to look out for, the different positions, the way that different people play um, and, and the standout players within their group, of which they've got a number of those so it's a case of going back to what we do having our game plan sticking to that and executing that and that that's what I think was the secret to the, the qualifying final as we know in grand finals it's not generally won by the star players it's usually won by the middle rung players or whoever's got the strongest bottom six as part of their list 
looking at your players, yep. who's been having a Ripper final series or last couple of rounds of the home and away and just peaking at the right time and, and improved over the year? Well, I think um, I think a, a couple of people that have sort of have put their hands up and started to hold down positions, and, and I think it's been a real reflection of the hard work they put in. Um, a late arrival to be with Mick Govan, who's um, who's really cemented uh, a wing wing spot for herself. She's she's come in a great little runner, smart user of the footy, and, and some some pretty handy skills too when she's got the footy in hand and and makes some great decisions. Um, further downfield. Um, a girl I encourage to be as, as annoying as possible when she's on the field is, is Tani Farrow, who's a great marking um, half forward or full forward sort of player and, and will kick goals if she's given a bit of space. So she's she's another one um, who's really lifted her game for us this year. And and, and I think it would um, important to sort of point out our uh, our dual rucks in uh, Emma Wynn and, and Joe Stanbury. They've They'd come a long way. Both had, had never played the game before. Both um, had played competitive sport, and they've been real, really open-minded to the, the the way we wanted them to play and, and the way that we've used them in the ruck. And, and they've learnt a lot and, and came a long way. And coming up against Demons, a ruck who is incredibly dominant, dominant player. She's athletic. She's tall. She knows the game really, really well inside and out. And She's she's very much a go-to player for them. So for us to be competitive against her in the qualifying final was, was a huge hats off to the two girls that we used through the middle. As we know, over the first two years of the competition, the rivalry, the main rivalry, was between the Demons and the Hawks. It seems to have turned in the last three years. It's been the Demons and the Lions as the big rivalry in the London Women's League. Do you try and play that up at all? I think I think if you play it up too much, you can get lost in a little bit of that that sort of age old idea of, of rivalry. And, and I think one of the things that we we sort of are taking on board is it's a grand final, and yes, there's rivalry, and yes, we want to you know get get one back for last year and 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 other years past. But at the same time, we've we've got our own game plan, we've got our own ambitions, and I think to to not focus on us would be losing sight of all the hard work we've put in through the year. What has the men's uh, support been like from the Lions Club? And, and what type of support are you expecting there on grand final day at Hackney Marshes? I think they've been fantastic. And, and, and through the year, there's there's been um, moments when we sort of tap people on the shoulder and guys who've played some football at some, at some really, you know, decent levels, getting them over and, and working with particular players in particular positions and getting them to understand different ways of playing and how to use their body, be a little bit more physical, or how to work and operate in the ruck, and so on and so forth. So, I mean, from from the development side of things, they've been outstanding, and, and on game day, they've been even more so. Like it, it's a, it's very much a club atmosphere. Everyone's behind everyone, but this week I'm expecting a huge turnout of both current and, and past players, and 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 friends and family alike to get down and really get behind the girls because they've got they've got a really great opportunity uh, again and and I think that there's a a great deal of belief not just amongst the group of players but those that, that train week in and week out and, and the supporters that do come along and cheer us on. And finally, Jay, what would it mean to you personally should the North London Lions win the Premiership on the weekend, being an Australian coaching a women's Australian rules football side? In London, I think it's. Um, I think it's. It, it would be immense um, having never played in in a, in a winning grand final myself for the North London Lions. I, I think being able to share that moment with the girls, knowing all the hard work they put into it, 
it just I think it'd be a, a sort of a couple of quiet moments just to, to take it all in and, and let them soak it up before sort of getting everyone together to celebrate. But I think it's it's like I said, it's a really great opportunity. But we're not sort of counting our chickens yet. We know we've woken a, a sleeping giant and beating them in the qualifying final, so we've. Uh, definitely going in prepared but to, to get over the line at the end of the day would would just be would probably leave me speechless which a lot of people would probably find quite surprising well jay thank you very much for joining us here at women's australian rules football on rsn carnival and we wish you and the north london lions all the very best as you take on the demons this saturday at hackney marshes in the afl london women's league premiership division grand final thanks very much mate Joining us on the line now here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. Calling in all the way from London, one of the players that will be taking part in the AFL London Women's League Premiership Division Grand Final on the weekend, the captain of the Wandsworth Demons, it's Priscilla Lodge. Priscilla, how are you? Hi, Peter. I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm fine, but how are you feeling with the nerves building up to the Grand Final this weekend? Yeah, it's good. I mean, it's the old cliche. It's a good mix of um, of nerves uh, and excitement. So, um, and that's definitely echoed by the girls down at the club. So, uh, yeah, really looking forward to Saturday and um, and all that it's going to bring. Before we talk about the finals, a fantastic home and away season for the Demons. Rarely troubled on the scoreboard, eight and zip through the year. Yeah, it was a good season. It's um. It's literally exactly what happened last year. We went undefeated, but the nature of um, of us Aussies over here in London, it's quite a transient lifestyle, and we um, obviously pretty much go through about fifty percent new players, fifty percent old players each season. So, yeah, like I said, coming off a good a good season last year, but also by the same token, not knowing what this year was going to bring. But uh, it was great to essentially pick off where we left last year, um, and yeah, like you said, come away. Uh, undefeated and the minor premiers, which was a really, really great um, great way to head into the final series. You actually have two sides at the Demons, which, of course, you have a side in the uh, conference division. Can you just give an idea of how many players you actually rotated through your premiership division this year? Yeah, we've got about, um, well, I'd probably say about 80 girls, um, I guess you could say, on the list. Um, like I said, the nature of us all living over here, obviously a lot of travel and things like that. So, um um, surprisingly, actually, to some of the other clubs, there, there, there were times where we actually did struggle to field players somehow with such a big group. But, yeah, on, on any given week, um, probably about, yeah, like I said, 80 on the list, but about um, each week, maybe about 50 to pick from, 50 or 60, to give or take, depending on the time of the year. Who have been the standout performers for you throughout the uh, home and away season? Uh, yeah, we had some really great recruits um, in Emily Kelly, um uh, Emily Raw, who both unfortunately are, like I said, are travelling this week, but um, also some really consistent performers in girls that have been around now a couple of years, and Jamie Rigoli, um, Laura Keeley, Polly Pavlidis is another new recruit this year who's just absolutely taken everything in her stride. So, um, yeah, but at the risk of sounding cliche, it's been an absolute team effort to get here. Um, so, yeah, like I said, a, a, few, a number of standouts, but also just a lot of girls just getting the job done week in, week out. In the early years of the competition, the main rivalry was between the Demons and the Wimbledon Hawks. That's changed in the last few years to now be, being between the Demons and the North London Lions. Um, unfortunately for you, despite a great premiership season, a bump in the road in the major semi-final when uh, you lost to the Lon- London Lions. Yeah, look, like you said, Peter, there's, there's, kind of, there's developed the last couple of years a strong rivalry between the Lions. Um, they're always our biggest. Uh, biggest competitor. They've got some really, really solid Aussie girls, but also some really good um, girls from the English team. So it's always really great to play them. We know they're going to put up a fight. Um, 
it was literally deja vu for last year. We went um, undefeated and then lost to them in the semi. So uh, whilst it was a good, um, it, it was a challenge and it was disappointing in the semi. Um, hopefully, it'll be deja vu um, complete with with uh, getting the jump on them this weekend. But yeah, we always look forward to playing those girls. It's always quite a physical matchup, but um, yeah, great competition and, and a good rivalry. What was said and spoken about at training during the week leading into the preliminary final to get the minds back on the track and and to rebound against the Wildcats, which, of course, you won that preliminary final? Yeah, I mean, going into the semi, um, one thing I spoke to the girls about was that, yes, we'd had a good season um, and we'd worked hard to earn the spot to, to finish on top, but all of that was more or less redundant coming into the finals. It's a clean slate. Uh, like you said, we had a bit of a blip in the semi, but then I guess going into the prelim, it was a bit more about. Um, it, it wasn't just a case of oh, you know, there, there's nothing to lose. It was, you know, we've got a, we've got a spot in the grand final to lose, and also a potential to um, to head back to Champions League for the third year in a row. So we were under no illusion as to what was on the line. Um, we had actually played the Wildcats a fortnight earlier, and they'd given us a really good run for our money. So by no means were we coming into that prelim complacent. Um, we knew that they were going to really um, put up a good fight, which they did. Um, and yeah, it was very much focusing on, um, I guess, the the result of the game, if we were to win being the grand final, but also, you know, not getting ahead of ourselves and still just taking it one quarter of a time and knowing that, um, you know, if we, if we did what we needed to do, the results would follow. What do you think is the biggest threat that the North London Lions pose in the grand final that you need to put a stop to? Um, I guess we were probably a bit um, taken aback by their physicality in the semi. I think... Um, they're, they're, they're a really strong team and I don't think we really stood up to that as well as we have in the past and as well as we could have. Um, but mixed with that, they've got a few speedy mids and quite a dominant forward that um, that we're aware of and we know, we, we know what we need to do and we know who we need to match up. But it's just being prepared for those two styles of football that they bring and they bring really well in that. Um, you know, Like I said, they're very good at being physical and locking down the game when they need to. But likewise, they're, they're a quick team and they're... Um, they're very good at the same time when the game opens up and getting that run and carry. So it's just being prepared from our end to transition into those two different styles of football. Um, but at the same time, not allowing them to just dictate the whole game and, and making sure that we still are playing the games on our terms. Generally, premierships are not won by the better players. It's won by the mid-range players who step up. And sometimes it comes down to a, a battle of who's got the better bottom six on the squad. Um, out of the players that you look at your list, bar your star players, uh, who's really staying to come good at the right time of the year that could play a pivotal role in the grand final this weekend? Yeah, one of our, probably one of our big, biggest recruits this year um, was one of our players, um, Kristen Johns or KJ, she'd known around the club. She'd never played footy before, um, came to the club, started out the start of the season in our women's conference team and has just absolutely excelled in that. It was a no-brainer about halfway through the season to promote her up to the Prem's team. Um, and, yeah, she's li- literally the type of player you just described, Peter. Gets the job done, isn't isn't flashy. She's not on the field taking those, you know, the big grabs or, or kicking, you know, goals week in, week out. She just get those in and unders, get the jobs done. We know that we can put her up against those more physical girls and shut them down, um, you know, even if that means playing a traditional tagging role and um, obviously taking herself out of the game a little bit in that respect. So, yeah, really looking forward to see what she can bring this weekend. And what type of support are you expecting from the Demons faithful? This includes not just the women's but the men's as well on grand final day. Yeah, the, the club's awesome over here. We've got five teams and, and one of our mantras we talk about a lot is, you know, five teams, one club. Um, 
we had um, all five teams in the finals. Um, unfortunately, our men's conference got knocked out last week um, and our women's conference grand final, which was played last week, they unfortunately lost as well. But, you know, there's, there's four matches on on Saturday. We're playing in three out of four of them. But to be honest, Peter, even if, you know, it was just one team, I would expect the same amount of club, uh, same amount of support from uh, members of the club. Um, you know, men, women, Division One, Division Three, whatever it is. Um, yeah, everyone gets around each other, lots of support. Um, and yeah, yeah, really, really looking forward to a big day for the club. Um, obviously, the wins would be nice, but either way, it's just a really big day for our club. And finally, what would it mean for you personally as captain, an Australian captaining a side playing Aussie rules in London to hold the Premiership <laughs> Cup at the end of the day? Yeah, you know, it's, it's a bit crazy like that when you when you put it like that. Um, I mean, it's been a, a pretty big year. Uh, we've had a lot of um, injuries and, like I said, players coming in and out of the country, which you know I'm 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 aware affects all the clubs. But um, yeah, it would it would mean a lot. Uh, yeah, like I said, last year winning last year was really special. Um, I was fortunate that my mum was here as well at the time, which was good. But I mean, to to do it as captain and um, vice president of the club as well, I guess it's just the it would um yeah it'd be but bloody good to put it bluntly, Peter. But um, yeah, obviously we've we've got a job to do, so hopefully we'll uh, we'll get the result that that follows. Well, Priscilla, thank you very much for your time, and all the very best to the Wandsworth Demons as you take on the North London Lions this weekend in the AFL London Women's League Premiership Division Grand Final. No worries, thanks, Peter, and thanks for the support. So, if you've got any friends over in the UK, tell them to get to Hackney Marshes this Saturday for the AFL London Women's League Premiership Division Grand Final between the North London Lions and the Wandsworth Demons. Let's jump over the Atlantic Ocean to North America to find out what's happening there. Uh, last weekend, it was the United States Australian Football League Western Regional Tournament. Now, normally Brian Barish would join us on the line for a full rundown of what happened. Uh, Brian's actually enjoying some vacation time in Oregon. So we leave him be. We'll hopefully chat to him uh, next week. But San Francisco Iron Maidens did take out the tournament. Congratulations to San Francisco. Their first Western Regional title in three years. I think their last one was back about 2015-2016. Coming up this weekend in San Francisco at the GAA Fields at Avenue H, it's going to be the East-West Showdown between the San Francisco Iron Maidens and the New York Magpies. Get along to that one if you can. Just search East. West Showdown on Facebook for all the details. Hopefully Brian will be back with us next week to give us a rundown of what happened in detail at the Regionals Plus at the East West Showdown. Over in AFL Quebec, just the one match played over the weekend where the Plateau Eagles defeated the Notre Dame de Grace uh, Giants. Over in the AFL Ontario competition, the High Park Demons won for 10, went down to the Hamilton Wildcats for 12 36. Now time to return home and let's find out what happened in the QAFLW over the weekend with Ant Wingard. And joining us on the line now here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival to take a look back at round 13, the Pride round in the QAFLW competition. It's great to have on the line from AFL Queensland, Ant Wingard. Ant, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Feeling fantastic as we near finals football and something a little different for round 13. Not only the Pride round, but all games played on the same day at the same venue. Yeah, it was, it was a really special initiative um, from the team at, at AFL Queensland to kind of organise a big day where all the clubs can get involved and celebrate and um, obviously kind of promote some inclusivity um, with LGBT 
um, kind of Activision. Um, and to have all the teams there, all the players there on the one day playing, it was a great atmosphere. I was out there and, you know, I was, it was just a great day for footy. Let's start, first of all, by looking at the game that kicked the dew off the grass at 10.30am. Marucci Dor versus the Apsley Hornets. Marucci Dor having a terrific season, 14-5-99 over the Hornets who failed to score. Well, you mentioned that Marucci Dor are having a fantastic year, and you're definitely right there. I think they're the, the biggest improved uh, side of the competition this year, um, even considering Bond, who's you know gone from one game out of finals to... Uh, minor premiers now and Marichal, this probably may be their best rounded performance of the season. Obviously they kept us the goalless but I think the, the work that Maruchador did forward of centre um, really just locking the ball in their forward line set up the win and um, you look at girls like Chloe Gregory bobbed up with two goals Kate Sermon who uh, got signed by Gold Coast Suns last week. She played a bit more half forward small forward role than a usual midfield gig. Uh, she bobbed up with two goals and, um, you know, obviously some of their under-18 talent. We mentioned Gregory. Louis Postlethwaite was really good, as you kind of expect. And, and Rachel, Rachel Crack uh, in the ruck as well. She really gave them first use. And uh, now that win, uh, Marichal, a big win over Astley. And then uh, you, also your Rongas uh, win over UQ and probably the game of the day. That secured Marichador finals action for the first time um, since they've joined the QAFLW a couple of years ago. So massive week for them and massive couple of weeks, obviously, after a massive win over Pooparoo last week. And for, and overall, a, a massive boost for Sunshine Coast football. Yeah, it, it really is. And I think that that's kind of been the thing that's driven um, the team so far, you know, a lot of the girls are actually Sunny Coast girls. Look at uh, Belle Dawes, obviously Shannon Campbell, Talia Randall, who both played really well on the weekend. They, they really do have a strong uh, pathway of Sunshine Coast talent coming through. So to have that kind of sector of southeast Queensland represented in, in the QAFLW finals for the first time, it, it, it's good for the competition. It's good for Maroochydore, and the Roos are really playing some really good footy at the right time of the year. University of Queensland, 5-4-34, went down to Yoronga, South Brisbane, 6-8-44 in the closest game oh, of the day. It was the closest game of the day. It was definitely the best. And it almost looked like UQ were running away with, with the win. It was The game kind of seesawed a bit throughout the four quarters. Uh, but UQ kind of kicked a, a few goals um, to establish a 10-point lead um, at the final break. And... It almost looked like they were away. Matt Grider, uh, she kicked a goal with about 10 seconds left in the third term. Gave them that handy lead. But then Nuronga came out in the last quarter and just nailed home the goals. They got one in within a minute um, from Jackie Orson. Literally the first bounce of the last quarter. Jesse Keith knocks the ball down. Bates kicks it forward. Yorston uh, took a good contested mark and then an encroachment 50-metre penalty gave a, you know, an easy goal and got the Devils right back in the game and they kicked two more from there. Another one to Yorston that sealed the victory. And Yoronga, you know, that win locks them into finals as well. So three of the four places in the finals um, are all are all confirmed with one round to go. And it's probably an opportunity gone lacking for UQ who did lead uh, for most of the game and then dropped it in the final term. You know, they have to win this week um, and hope that Cooper lose to make the top four. So... 
a massive performance for Yoronga to come back, but I think the, the biggest takeaway is probably the opportunity that UQ let slip. As we look to the third game of the round, Coolangatta Tweed didn't get on the scoreboard as the minor premiers, Bond University, uh, put 8-10-58 on the scoreboard. Mm, unfortunately, this game was a fair bit one-sided. and uh, it, I feel like it, it paints a negative picture for Coolangatta, but considering the injuries that they've copped over the past week, um, Indy Sleeth out for an ACL, who is probably their best defender so far this year, and then uh, Bree McFarlane, who's probably one of their best forwards in her limited games this year. Uh, she hurt her elbow or um, some part of her arm last week, so they both missed. And obviously the talent in Bond University's ranks uh, really just paved the way and dominated. And uh, Paul Cool and Gatter couldn't really muster much up on the scoreboard. And Bond University outplayed them over the field and, and got the chocolates. And, um, you know, they look like the form competition of their team. And I probably want to touch on uh, Matty Levi, one of the under-18 state players. Usually like a, a hard-moving forward ruck type, and she didn't really play too much ruck for Bond on the weekend. She was thrown straight into the midfield, and she was best on ground against the depleted Coolangatta side. So I think that's massive wraps for her um, from the Bond coaches, and obviously her draft stocks looking forward a bit um, have, have improved really well. So great to see from her. And in the final match of the round, Cooper Rue of old returned 22-10-142 over the reigning premiers, Wilston Grange, two straight 12. Ouch! Yeah, it was uh, probably the opposite of a nail-biter, if you could ever call it one. And, um, you know, Cooper Rue were just, they really needed a big performance. And I think everyone at Cooper Rue, kind of demanded that from themselves after their blunder of a game last week, letting the one slip to Maruchador. So um, I think they got a got a bit of a rocket up their bums and they came out and smashed it from the opening bounce. And look at Jeff Wushner, Bob, that was five goals. But they had almost six multiple goal kickers for the game, I think. And it just goes to show, you know, the talent that's at Cooperu, but, you know, what they can achieve when they really do gel. And, you know, this time of year where their best team was on the park probably for the first time all year against Wilson Grange. Um, you know, that really did rise to the top and propel them to victory. So, you know, looking forward a bit, they're in a really good place to make finals where people probably penciled them in for a grand final spot at the start of the year. But, you know, performances really haven't gone their way. But, you know, that win um, over Wilson Grange it improved their percentage, you know, incredibly. They made up about 20% on UQ. Uh, with the win over the Gorillas. So, you know, they sit in fourth spot at the moment. They play uh, Bond University this week, which is a tough matchup. Um, you know, so they'll be looking to either pit for the Bull Sharks um, in, in probably an upset to round out their year or hope that uh, UQ fall to Maroochid or to make the top four. Let's have a look at the final round, round 14, the QAFLW competition. And the beauty of this is... Essentially, every game is live in the final round. And I mentioned by starting at 2 p.m. at Fox and Oval. Apsley versus Wilston Grange. This is actually a battle to avoid the wooden spoon. It really is. And I think it's even more intriguing because Aspley beat Wilston Grange the last time these two teams met. So, obviously, Aspley are new to the competition and they have had their struggles in their first season at QAFLW level. But... 
you know, they'll be entering the contest full of confidence knowing that they have already beaten Wilston Grange this year. So I think, you know, the pressure really is on Wilston Grange to, um, you know, avoid the spoon. And, you know, if they can't, then that means going from a premiership to a spoon in back-to-back seasons, which, you know, obviously probably isn't a, a great look for them. But for Aspley, you know, I think they're, they're probably the underdogs and can go in the game, you know, without that added pressure. They won't mind if they finish with a spoon, but I think Wilson Grange would probably you know, want to avoid it as if possible. 3.45pm Saturday at Bond University, the Bull Sharks versus Cooperoo. If Cooperoo caused the upset, they lock in fourth spot at least and they shut out Coolangatta Tweed and uh, and uh, UQ Red Lions. If Cooperoo lose, it then comes down to the results in the other matches. Yeah, that's right. And it's a massive game for Cooperoo and um, it probably didn't really need to get to this point for the Kings. I mean, look at back to round one of the season and they lost to Astley uh, by about 50 points following the AFLW season. You know, if they don't drop that game, then that ticket's already booked to finals. But, you know, they have to leave it up to the last round. And, you know, unfortunately for them, it is up against the minor premiers in Bond. And, um, you know, it's a tough ask. And um, you look at the girls that were left out of Bond University's team that played coolly last week, um, girls like Emmy Lee, uh, Zanka Close, Taylor Smith, um, who's been, you know, a really good forward option for the Bull Sharks when she's played. Uh, she missed with concussion, but she should be back this week. Like, there's so much talent missing out for Bond. So, you know, Cooper really need to bring their best footy to, you know, if they have any chance of beating them. And I think that winning over Wilson Grange, you know, starts to get that wheel in motion. That was their best team that they've, uh, laid out on the park this year and it was certainly their best performance. So if they can replicate that, that'd be close. But, you know, the, the challenge of playing Bond University is a massive one. So, you know, the writing's on the wall a bit for Cooperoo. 4.45pm at Exum Oval. Uh, a couple of sides that played back in 2016 in the grand final. Coolangatta Tweed versus Yeronga South Brisbane. Coolangatta Tweed need to win and hope that Cooperoo lose. Yeah, that's right. And Cooper, uh, it's a bit of a strange one. Cool and Gatter um, are still in the, the hunt for his final spot, but you'd probably say they're the most unlikely to make it um, of the three teams still vying for that, that final position. And, um, you know, last time they played Yoronga, it came down to uh, two, three points at the end. So they, you know you can they can challenge the Devils, um, obviously one of their, their big rivals, as you said, but... You probably expect Yoronga to to round out there again with a solid win, and uh, that probably comes down to just the injuries that Cool and Gatter have sustained, which have kind of derailed their season for the second year in a row. I think they lost six in a row to round out last year. Still finished fourth, but then fell out in the first week of finals. And you know, it's, it's looking a bit of a, the same theme for the Bluebirds this time around again. We should mention for the Bluebirds as well that if uh, Kipperu do lose, they have UQ Red Lions to deal with who are above them on percentage, but Coolangatta could jump them even if the Red Lions win, depending again on percentage. And this comes down to the Maroochydore versus UQ Red Lions game at 4.45pm, ironically at the same time at the Maroochydore Multisports Complex. Mm, I, I'd probably tip this one to be the match of the round, I think. And, um, you know, you'd, 
I feel like these two teams are so evenly matched and uh, Maruchador will be without uh, the likes of Bell Doors and uh, Lily Possesweight who have a few commitments um, with the NAB under-18 talent pathway. Um, so they'll miss for the game and you know, they've been really good for them. But, um, you know, that's not the full tale because Maruchador have been able to win games without those couple of names uh, throughout the year. But it's a massive contest, as you said, and... Um, I think UQ, oh, they probably like their chances, um, especially given those outs. They'd probably hope for Megan Hunt to um, have a bit more impact on the scoreboard. She went, I think she's been goalless the last two rounds after um, leading the competition goal kicking for the first 11 weeks. So um, they'll be hoping she can hit the scoreboard. Nat Grad has been super for UQ in her games this year. And um, Dakota Davidson's been another really good one um, for them so far this year alongside Hunt in the forward line. But she hurt her finger um, against Uronga on the weekend. She might get up for the game, might miss. I'm not too sure at the moment. But, you know, if she gets up, I think that combination of uh, her and Hunt in the forward line, that's probably where the game could be won for UQ. Well, Anne, thanks very much for joining us here on Women's Strangles Football on RSN Carnival. We look forward to your company next week when we look back at the final exciting round of the Bond University QAFLW competition. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Massive week coming up. Fingers crossed. We'll have more Women's Australian Football on RSN Carnival coming up in just a moment. We are the Australian Literacy and Numeracy Foundation, striving to empower our most marginalised communities through literacy and education. Literacy is having a voice. Literacy is opportunity. Literacy is dreaming big. Literacy is freedom. Today, you can help end inequality and give every child access to our life-changing and proven literacy programs. Your support is vital. Donate now at alnf.org. On RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival, you're listening to Women's Australian Rules Football. I'm Peter Holden. Thanks for your company. Let's do a quick score check to find out what happened in the West Australian Football League Women's Competition Round 11 over the weekend. East Fremantle 10-14-74 defeated Pill Thunder 1-3-9. Subiaco 6-6-42 defeated Swan Districts in a thriller 6-5-41. Here's Swan Districts coach Cara Dunnellan with her thoughts on the game. Bit of a tale of two, two halves, I thought... The first half, we got outplayed um, by Subi. They were fantastic and then kind of regained a little bit of respect in the second half from our point of view. And um, I thought our midfielder got on top and we're able to provide our forwards with some opportunities to score and really made it exciting in the last quarter, um, kicking a goal with that 30 seconds to go. And unfortunately going down by a point, but um, some really positive signs from, from the group. A lot of young kids playing some really good footy. Uh, Davison was fantastic, uh, Mim, Mim Strom from, through the ruck and I suppose across the whole whole entire ground um, having young players playing different positions with Bianca Webb going through the midfield I thought she was fantastic and um, our young State 18's captain with uh, Mickey Bowen going down in the third quarter with a bit of concussion after going back with the fly of the ball um, extremely courageous and we really missed her in the last quarter um, but again we regrouped this week Got a big, tough test against Claremont. 
uh, second on the ladder at home um, on Saturday. So looking forward to that challenge and uh, we'll regroup and go again. Round 12 of the UNSW Canberra First Grade Women's Competition was played over the weekend. Balcon and Magpies 7-8-50 defeated the Ainsley Tricolors 3-5-23. Eastlake Demons 23-16-154 defeated Gungahlin Jets no score. While the Quimbian Tigers 13-12-90 defeated the Tuggeranong Hawks no score. Looking ahead to round 13 action being played this Saturday 3rd of August 1.15pm at Football Park. The Eastlake Demons play host of the Quimbian Tigers. 3.45pm Saturday at Adera Law Nest. Balcon and Magpies play host of the Tuggeranong Hawks. While 3.45pm on Sunday at Gungarland Enclosed Oval, the Gungarland Jets play host to the Ainsley Tricolours. And joining us on the line now here at RSN Carnival to take a look back at the APL Sydney Women's Premier Division for another round, it's great to have Lauren Hodgson on the line. Lauren, how are you? Yeah, well, thanks, Peter. How are you? Always feeling fantastic as we near finals football. This is the fourth last round of the AFL Sydney season. And we start by having a look at the UNSW Eastern Suburbs Bulldogs versus UTS Bats games. And it was the Bulldogs getting the chocolates 13 8 86 to 2 113. Yeah, well, they certainly did get the chocolates. And uh, I mean, look, they were, um, you know, n- never heated uh, 19 uh, points up at quarter time. And then uh, they continued on in the second quarter, kicking uh, four goals, which was their best quarter. And uh, they they were pretty even, though, throughout the game. Uh, They kicked three goals in the first, four in the second, as I mentioned, another four in the third and and, uh, two in the last. So they were quite even, and they'd be happy with uh, their their performance throughout. I think they've uh, had a bit of an up-and-down season, as we know, Peter. But Beck Brutelli, again, proves she's uh, one of the best forwards in the comp kicking eight, and uh, she certainly puts herself, uh, you know, into contention with a few weeks to go from the league's leading goal kicker. The game between the top two sides did not let anybody down. A two-point thriller. The East Coast Eagles, 6-3-39, defeating Macquarie University, 6-1-37. Yeah, look, it certainly did live up to expectations, and uh, look, we knew it was going to be a close one. Uh, only a goal in it at at quarter time, and uh, look, I think the biggest margin of the game was 11 points, which is what it was at half time. And uh, but McInnie, unfortunately for them, couldn't really do much after half time, only kicking one goal. One um, Laura Russell was she's had a, a great couple of years for McInnie, kicked three for them, and uh, Wilson kicked two for the Eagles, and uh, the rest of their goal kickers were singles. So uh, Hurley, good to Smith, and uh, and Tarrant who's um, had a, a good week. I think she may have just been named in the uh, All-Australian side from the under-18s national champs. So, uh, look, the Eagles, um, yeah, built to be the, the match of the round, probably the match of the year so far, and uh, was a really co- tight contest throughout, Peter, which is what we want to see coming into finals. The Southern Power, 9-15-69, defeated the Newtown Breakaways, 1-3-9. Yeah, look, Power had a really good win at home. Uh, probably a little bit disappointed with some inaccurate kicking. Uh, they had six behinds in the first quarter, so uh, they'd be disappointed there that they uh, couldn't make it even uh, an even bigger margin. Uh, they did get on track in the second quarter, kicking four goals uh, to, to none, and look, uh, Newtown's uh, solitary goal came in the last quarter. Um, Ash McClure was strong up forward for the foul, kicking two. And, uh, yeah, look, it was a fantastic win for them and uh, keeps them in the uh, the top four and in a hunt for a final spot. 
And in the final game of the round, the Sydney Uni Bombers, 8-5-53, defeated the Inner West Magpies, 3-3-21. Yeah, look, Peter, this game was, uh, was actually pretty close for the first three quarters. Uh, it was only uh, eight points in it at uh, the first break, uh, seven points in it at the main break, nine in the third. Uh, but look, in the last quarter, the Bombers really just ran away with it, kicking four goals to the Magpie solitary behind. Uh, it was a really even spread of goal kickers for the Bombers. McDonald kicked two, but the re- the rest of the goals were singles and uh, the single goal kickers for uh, the Magpies as well. But, uh, the Magpies had, um, take some heart from this game, as I said, being competitive for the first three quarters, but a, a much-needed uh, win for the Bombers and, uh, as I said, certainly helps them solidify that third spot. So let's have a look ahead to the third last round of the season. All games being played on Saturday, the 3rd of August. Uh, we begin 12.30pm at Mahoney Park. Uh, Newtown Breakaways playing host to the UNSW Eastern Suburbs Bulldogs. Yeah, look, uh, Newtown would be happy to uh, be having a home game. I think it's still going to be tough going. Uh, the Bulldogs have been a bit up and down with their form, but coming off the big win, uh, I think they're going to be uh, too good for the Breakaways. 2.10pm at Trump Park. The Sydney Uni Bombers take on the UTS Bats. Yeah, look, I think this is going to be another um, really good game. Uh, I think, uh, look, Sydney Uni is definitely the, the, the better side out of these two, um, you know, on paper and, and have been in, in uh, some, some good form this year. Um, I think we'll see it being a, a close first half, but similar to the Bombers game uh, on the weekend against the Magpies, I think they'll break away with it in the end. 3.10pm at Macquarie University. The Warriors play host to the Inner West Magpies. Yeah, look, I think the Warriors are going to have a big win at home. Obviously, uh, they're, they're top two along with the Eagles and they'd be smarting from their, their loss against the Eagles. So I think they're wanting to get back on the winner's board and um, I don't think they'll take it uh, easy. So, uh, yeah, Warriors in a, a big win there. And finally, at 4.50pm, a twilight football at Cambridge Oval, the East Coast Eagles versus the Southern Power. Yeah, look, unfortunately for Southern Power, um, I think it's going to be a fairly uh, comfortable win for the Eagles. Uh, the last time these sides met, it was at Waratah Oval, but the Eagles uh, came out firing, I think, something like six or seven goals in the first quarter. So, uh, look, hopefully it's uh, not not that bad to start off with, but I think uh, the Eagles will win comfortably. To the Tasmanian State League Women's Competition, Round 12 played over the weekend. Lauderdale just scored the one behind, going down to North Launceston, 13-16-94. Clarence 2-3-15, defeated Tigers 1-2-8, while Launceston 9-9-63, defeated Glenorchy 2-1-13. Looking ahead to Round 13 action, all games on Sunday, the 4th of August, 12pm at Bloodstone Arena, Clarence versus North Launceston. 12pm at Twin Ovals, the Tigers versus Glenorchy. While 12pm at Windsor Park, Launceston play host to Lauderdale. And joining us on the line now here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival to take a look back at round 12 of the Swiss Wellness VFL Women's Competition. We've got our second league caller here at Women's Australian Rules Football Radio. It's the one and only Matthew Cox. Coxie, how are you? Oh, a little bit disappointed now that I've been demoted, um, well, given well, that given that I've been uh, missing in action for the couple of weeks. I suppose yeah, I've got yeah. no defence to fall on. Well, Paul Sebastiani has called three in a row, so he might be just uh, coming to claim your crown. 
All right, I'm going to have to look at the calendar then and try and uh, try and work things out to, to reclaim that top spot. Well, we know you know the VFLW inside out. That's why we turn to you each midweek show. And let's have a look, first of all, at that result on Saturday morning. Essendon have won two in a row. They are a sneaky chance of making the finals after beating Weemstown 7-5-47 to 1-2-8. Yeah, I'll put it another way. It's 12 scoring shots to three for the Bombers. They, uh, they're up and about at the moment, aren't they? They... I know last week on the segment we were talking about whether the Bombers were mathematically a chance, but it may not happen that they could jump into the top six and they do need results to go their way. But on current form, they are showing something. And um, I think I alluded to it again in in the last week's segment, but the forward line entries is is one area of the game that we were uh, worried about come the end of last year. They just didn't have a functioning forward line and they seem to have been able to fix that issue this season, and as I said, 12 scoring shots on the weekend to just three um, was was a great performance for the Bombers. Uh, I suppose the I thought coming into this game, Williamstown were going to be a, a fairly solid. I thought that they'd put up a bit of competition, but not scoring in the first half uh, made made a mess of, of that prediction. And the Bombers were, were well on top at half time, having kicked four goals. Four Quigley kicked two goals on the weekend. Audley Collier through Staffy. And Wilson were the goal kickers on the weekend for the Bombers. Moana Hope, the only one getting a major for the Seagulls on the weekend. And uh, the statistics, it wasn't too great of a difference between the two sides. Uh, 158 kicks to 124 uh, in favour of the Bombers, obviously. Handballs were greater in favour of Williamstown, but not by much. 88 to 85. Uh, tackles, 95 to 73 in favour of the Bombers. And I suppose the biggest one on the park were the hitouts, 42 to 27 in favour of Essendon. So that's dominating in the ruck. The leading possession getters on the ground on the weekend, uh, Shay Audley, um, a player that's very familiar in Victorian women's football circles, having played for many years out at Diamond Creek and, of course, at Carlton in the, their AFLW program. Racked up 22 touches on the weekend, nine tackles um, as well. And then a name that has become pretty familiar in the recent few months in the under-18 girls' world. Georgia Patrikios racked up 20 touches in her debut at VFLW level on the weekend for the Bombers. Also laid seven tackles, took two marks, so a very impressive performance for her. She was one of a number of under-18 girls from the NAB League girls' competition that made the step up on the weekend into the VFLW. Moana Hope also racked up 19 touches on the weekend to be the leading possession-getter on the ground for the Seagulls. With Hawthorne having the bye, Geelong had the opportunity to sneak up from seventh into the top six. However, in Lauren Arnell's 200th game, Darabin upset the apple cart. The Falcons 6-5-41, defeating the Cats 4-1-25. Yeah, this big upset. And even though the, the, the scoreline, it's, uh, what's that, just uh, under 20, I think under 20 points, um, it's still a massive upset in the context of the season, particularly for Geelong. Now, I did read somewhere on social media that they did have quite a number of players. I'm not going to go with a figure off the top of my head because I haven't got it in front of me, but there was uh, a fair amount of inexperience in the side. There were a number of players under the age of 20 that ran out for the Geelong Cats side on the weekend. They still did have some prominent names, Ivy or uh, kicked a goal on the weekend in addition to Webster and McAvoy 
Um, another under-18 girl selected on the weekend for the Cats. But the Falcons, they ran rampant and really... From the word go, they started the opening term in, in blistering form, kicking two goals to just one goal for the Cats. Geelong were able to peg it back in the middle two quarters, but then it was a, a burst in the final term that allowed the Darabin Falcons to uh, go on for victory. In fact, Geelong didn't score in that last quarter. So really impressive for Darabin. They've had some moments this year that have, have shown glimpses of the, the potential that the list does show. And I suppose when you, you think back, um, probably about six weeks ago, we were, were questioning what does the future look like for Darabin. And just given some of their competitive performances recently, it, it does seem to be a little brighter than what we may have thought in terms of the, the talent that's coming through from the area. It helps when you've got Nell Morris-Dalton in the side. She's another under-18 girls coming through the system from the Northern Knights. She kicked two goals in her debut on the weekend for Darabin. Lauren Arnell in her 200th game kicked a goal. Hammond, McLaughlin and Simpson were the other goal kickers on the weekend for the Darabin Falcons. The leading possession getter actually came from Geelong on the weekend, garring, racking up 26 touches, laying six tackles and taking seven marks, so a dominant performance from her. And Lauren Pierce continues to be a standout uh, for the Darabin Falcons and continuing her growth over the last 24 months as to be one of the top ruckmen in women's footy. Uh, she racked up 24 touches on the weekend, had 39 hitouts, laid three tackles uh, and also took a mark. And the, the hitouts there, the next best on the ground was Renee Karras for Geelong and only had 13. So quite a big difference in favour of Lauren Pierce. They're putting together another very good season. After a win against Williamstown last week, Carlton came back to earth with a thud. Melbourne Uni, 12-9-81 over the Blues, 5-5-35. Looking at the score sheet in this one, I think the way you can describe Melbourne University's recent form is relentless. Five goals, three in the opening term to just one behind. And then they just ran away with it from there. A little inaccurate, 12 goals, nine at the end of the day for Melbourne University, but... Nonetheless, they get a very handy percentage booster uh, in the race for the top six. Uh, Angelus kicked three goals for them. Ashmore kicked three goals. Saxon Jones kicked two goals. There's another under-18s name for you. Adetangelo, Duffin, Garner, Gillespie Jones. So that's a fairly solid goal-kicking list for Melbourne University on the weekend. A number of their North Melbourne, Tasmania, Kangaroos talent taking to the park on the weekend for Carlton. Kavish kicked a goal. Downey Gurr, Gaddy Newton, who made her debut. Another under-18 girl with a, a plenty of talent and, and versatility across the park. Nat Plain also playing for Carlton on the weekend, kicking a goal. As we mentioned last week, Carlton's season has been very disappointing given the talent they've been putting out on the park week in, week out. Um, there's enough AFLW experience there, but the, the latter of the list seems to drop away, which has been a little bit of a concern, particularly for a side that made the AFLW grand final. Whether they're also testing versatility amongst the ranks. I mean, we saw Jess Hosking play at full back earlier in the season, so they may be trialling different things and not so much focusing on the results. But to be sitting, I think, second last on the ladder after 12 rounds of footy isn't where you would have thought the Carlton side would have been for Melbourne University. Well, they're... They're firing on all cylinders at the moment. They've jumped up to fourth on the ladder. They've got a very good percentage, 141. 
The next best is the Southern Saints in second with 203. So they're, they're going along very well at the moment, Melbourne University. And as I mentioned before, they're getting some of their AFLW talent back on the park consistently. And have a look at this for the top seven possession getters on the ground is all AFLW talent for Melbourne University. Bruton, 28 touches. Abitangelo, 24 touches. Garner, 23 touches. Duffin, 22. Riddle, 22. Gillespie Jones, 20. Jess Trend, 19. The best for Carlton was Madison Prasparkas with 18 touches. So it's a dominant Melbourne University outfit. Potentially don't write them off come the back end of the year. Mars Stadium Ballarat seems to be a happy hunting ground for the Western Bulldogs. As we recall last year when they were at the lower end of the table, they caused a big boil over against Geelong. This year, this win has knocked the NT Thunder out of the six for the first time and put the Thunder in eighth position as we speak. And it was a dominant performance. The Bulldogs 13-13-91, the Thunder 2-1-13. Yeah, uh, dominant, um, very similar to Melbourne University. It looks as though that they got some talent back on the park as well. Berry kicked three goals on the weekend for them. Notice Lachlan's also named on the goal-kicking sheet. Danny Marshall, uh, the American that's been rookie-listed by the Bulldogs, was also playing on the weekend. To kick 13-13 to just two goals one is a massive performance for the Western Bulldogs. Conditions I would have imagined, uh, I know where I was on Saturday, it was quite dry, a little overcast. So the conditions would have suited the Northern Territory Thunder up in Ballarat. I'm assuming it would have been dry, maybe a little slippery underfoot. So that could have caused them a few issues. We know how silky they are and, and fast and attacking footy that they play. So whether the, the slippery surface may have had a, an issue with them on the weekend, but the Bulldogs, they've been a side that's been a little all over the place um, in the first uh, two-thirds of the season. And as we come into the back end, they may also be just staking a claim for a top-six spot to cement it. We thought potentially early on that they'd drop out just because of their inconsistency throughout the season. But they've been really impressive uh, on the weekend in, in their form coming in um, has been okay. They've still dropped a few games that they probably would have thought they wouldn't have. But um, on the weekend, if they can continue like that for the remaining four rounds of the home and away season, then watch out for the Bulldogs come the back end of the year. As I said before, Berry kicked three goals. Sandrill also kicked two. Ward kicked two. Danuccio kicked one. Elizabeth Georgia Stathis, another under-18 talent, uh, kicked a goal on the weekend. Lamb, Lachlan, Marshall kicked goals. And Molan, another under-18 talent, Sophie Molan there, also hitting the scoreboard. From the Northern Territory Thunder, they also had an under-18 talent hit the scoreboard with their two goals. Taylor Hartalooney was the player there that registered the two majors on the scoreboard for them. As you'd expect, uh, possession was heavily dominated in favour of the Western Bulldogs. 61% of the time it was in their hands, only 39% for the Northern Territory Thunder. The leading possession getters on the ground, 27 touches went the way of Lamb, also laying eight tackles, taking three marks. Berry, in addition to her three goals, she kicked, uh, sorry, she had 22 disposals, took five marks and laid two tackles. Armistead was the leading possession getter on the ground for the Northern Territory Thunder with 18. In the lowest scoring game of the round, but clearly the match of the round, Collingwood pinch it after the siren. 3-8-26 to 3-4-22. The Pies have won 
every game since dropping that first match to the Southern Saints. Yeah, it's remarkable, isn't it? Um, and do I give you credit here for choosing the match of the day here, Pete, between <laughs> no. Richmond and Collingwood? I think Paul Sebastiani, we were meant to do the Saints versus the Demons and due to lack of a commentator availability and Paul could only do Richmond-Collingwood, we ended up at Punt Road. Good choice. Yeah. And I now know why he's become the number one caller. Um, I also hear from sources that you may have mozzed this one very late for the Tigers, so I'm not sure whether the fans at Pump Road would be very happy with you. But, geez, it was a, as a tight contest. I mean, you, you were there, so you're probably going to be able to elaborate on this a little bit more. Three scoring shots apiece in the opening term, both sides registering three behind. That went out to six scoring shots in the second term for Collingwood to five for Richmond, yet Richmond led at half-time. So it, it, it seems on paper as if it was an arm wrestle and came down to the dying stages of the game where Alexander took Mark point-blank range uh, directly in front after the siren, putting the goal through for Collingwood to, as you say, remain undefeated apart from that round one loss against the Southern Saints. Can was the other goal kicker. And so to Jamie Lambert to Collingwood on the weekend. Frederick, Kennedy and Wakefield were the goal kickers on the weekend for the Tigers. The match statistics, because it, as I said, given it looked as though it was an arm wrestle, you look down at the statistics. Collingwood we were actually a little inefficient going inside 50, 33 to 22. So they had more chances, but just were unable to capitalise on it. Uh, hitouts went the way of the Tigers, 42 to 30. Tackles were very similar. Marks in favour of Collingwood, 49 to 41. Um, and kicks heavily in favour of Collingwood, 154 to 121. So I read that as that Collingwood seemed to be more dominant around the ground, but the Tigers just capitalised on their opportunities a little more. Brianna Davey was the leading possession getter on the ground for Collingwood with 28 touches, laid five tackles to four marks. Gemma Lagoya was also prominent for the Collingwood side, but she's played in it a couple of times this season, another under-18 talent, uh, racked up 20 touches on the weekend. Also laid two tackles, took six marks. And for someone of her size, she's only small, but um, she can do some special things forward of centre and around the ground. And I think she may have been involved in that last passage of play too for the Magpies. Lambert also racked up 20 touches, Shevlin 16. So the top four possession getters on the ground went the way of the Magpies. Dempsey, the leading possession getter for the Tigers, with 15. I'm interested to know the stats as well on Grace Bucken, who I felt was huge. And she uh, got two vital possessions in that last 60 seconds with the uh, eventual shot on goal. Uh, Grace Buckins stats from the game, 12 disposals. She had seven kicks, five handballs, two marks and seven tackles. So look again at that last 60 seconds. You'll see it on the VFL page where she got uh, two kicks in there, including the kick that went to Alexander perfectly for that one-on-one battle. And Alexander, of course, going back and kicking the goal with 25 seconds to go. Phoebe Monaghan really stepped up as well in the uh, back half there for Richmond in the second half. Some injury concerns. Uh, Allen for uh, Collingwood uh, came off what appears maybe a rolled ankle. And I think it was uh, Grace Campbell for the uh, Tigers who came off with her arm uh, wrapped up in her jumper. So there were some concerns around that for the Tigers. There was uh, some concerns as well for Ashlyn Curling, who came off, looked like with possibly a, a bit of a, a quad strain, but uh, she ended up coming back on the ground uh, later in the match.
and there's some handy names there with, uh, as you say, some question marks over them. But just going back to Buck, and I, I saw that vision that you alluded to that you can find across social media with uh, someone's brilliant commentary, won't name who, um, but I am speaking to him at the moment. But she yeah. took that ball in the... Yeah. <laughs> thank you very much. She took that ball in a very tight, contested situation. It was an intercept. Um, she had, I think, two or three standing around her and just attacked the ball. She was the only one coming with pace for the contest, took it cleanly, and then, as you said, it was a precise kick inside 50 to Alexander. So uh, great work from her um, to to obviously win Collingwood the game. It was really that moment because otherwise Richmond had possession of the ball. They were kicking it into the corridor. They were going to take possession and then just take time off the clock. Um, the Ella straight kick obviously opened the door for Collingwood. So pivotal in those final few seconds in the game there, Bucken. And in the final game of the round, the Southern Saints, 5-14-44, defeat the Casey Demons, 2-3-15. It's the Saints, two from two over the Demons this year. And we thought potentially this game was going to be a little closer given Casey were coming off a monumental victory against the Northern Territory Thunder a week ago. I think that's uh, that's correct, yes, the 113.785 to 3.220. So we thought Casey were going to be a little more competitive in this game, but I think the Southern Saints, after a, a couple of weeks ago, they received a, a reality check and they've straightened up. Very inaccurate, though. 5.14. So 19 scoring shots to 5. Um, they could have been more damaging and, and would have continued the trend of uh, dominant victories from the top sides of the competition on the weekend. But Hannah kicked two goals. Jones, McDonald and Stewart were the goal kickers for the Southern Saints. For the Casey Demons, Smith and Weber were their goal kickers. They got their first major in the third quarter, so it took them a long, long time to get going. Um, and the Southern Saints, as I said, they were dominant 55 Percent of the time it was in their possession. Uh, they had more kicks, more handballs, only two more marks, less tackles. Uh, obviously, Casey chasing the ball more often, laying more tackles. The hitouts went in the Southern Saints' favour, and they also had more inside 50s, 32 to 26. So, dominant performance for the Southern Saints. The leading possession getters on the ground, though, actually went the other way. Jacobson racked up 20 touches for Casey on the weekend. Mithen racked up 20. Libby Birch racked up 19. So the top three possession getters all going the way of the Casey Demons. Drennan was the best for the Southern Saints with 19. Uh, and then you had Johnson with 15 and Tilly Lucas Rod also racking up 15 touches. So better using the ball, more efficient using the ball there, the Southern Saints, and obviously dominant on the scoreboard would have been a, a handy percentage booster if they had got it, although they are the top side in the competition when it comes to percentage. They do have 203.1, but do sit um, a game behind the Collingwood Magpies, even though, ironically, they beat the Magpies earlier in the year. Well, we'll see what happens when that rolls around come finals time. One and two uh, has their tracking at the moment. They should be playing each other in week one of the final series as part of the top six format, if I'm correct. First versus second, third versus sixth, and fourth versus fifth 
in the opening week of the final. So we'll have to wait about four more weeks till they meet again. Let's have a look ahead to uh, round 13 action. Only the one game on the Saturday. It's a standalone. We'll be on air 10.30am, bringing you the bounce down at 11.30am at Windy Hill. This is Essendon versus the Southern Saints. As we said, the Saints sitting second on the table. Essendon sitting 10th. And if there's any sneaky chance of making the finals, this is a game they have to win. Yeah, well, it's they they obviously need to win their, their remaining games and and also have results fall their way. The Bombers, it's a nice little incentive, but also to take it week by week. They've been competitive, they've been good, but I don't think they'll be good enough against the second place side of the competition, who just seems to be back on track after a little mid season blip. I think the Southern Saints will win this one, probably a three to four goal victory for them. But I'm expecting Essendon to really take it to them. They've been good defensively. They've restricted sides from scores. uh, And they've also been able to put scoreboard pressure on. So this should be a a good contest between the two sides. But I think the Southern Saints will just be that uh, little bit stronger. They're a little more experienced um, with some AFLW talent in there. um, And obviously they're pushing for their AFLW program next season. So Southern Saints for me. At the Swinburne Centre on Sunday at 11am, Richmond have a chance to bounce back after that shock loss to Collingwood in the dying seconds, uh, taking on the Weemstown Seagulls. Yeah, I actually feel a little bit sorry here for Williamstown because you wouldn't want to be uh, going up against a, a Richmond side that probably should have won the game on the weekend. Um, they've, they've dropped. They, they were up the pointy end of the ladder very early on. They're now sitting, what's that, fifth on the ladder. So in on the verge of falling out of the top six if results don't go their way. They need a big win here too. Their, their percentage is the lowest at the moment inside the top six. It's still 117.3%, but it is um, the lowest from those sides currently inside the top six. So I think they should get that percentage boosting uh, victory on the weekend. Williamstown, I think, will be looking to bounce back after a poor performance against the Bombers on the weekend. But... I just think Richmond will be too strong. Victoria Park, Sunday morning, 11am, Collingwood versus Carlton. The old rivals. um, And one end of the ladder playing virtually the other end, given Collingwood on top, Carlton currently second last. Um, You'd expect Collingwood to get the victory. I, I get the sense that um, the last few weeks, they have just been scraping over the line. um, And I've, we saw that with Hawthorne last year and the way that they played out, they dropped that game to Darabin late in the season and that helped straighten them up. So I just wonder whether Collingwood are on the verge of potentially dropping one of these close games. And I think Carlton would like nothing better than to get the victory on the weekend. And I'm actually going to tip an upset in this one, Pete. I, I don't know why, because the paper suggests that you shouldn't be tipping the Blues. Their, their form has been very patchy throughout the season. But I just feel as if Collingwood, they've just been ticking over and going through the motions a little bit the last couple of weeks. And they just need something to realign themselves. So I'm going to tip Carlton in the nutset. I don't know what you're smoking there, but it's probably only available <laughs> in certain states in the USA. Boy, oh boy, Collingwood should come out and smash the Blues. I'll say Collingwood by 40 points. 
do we do we have a a, um, a little wager on this then, uh, Pete? Because I just I just I read into Collingwood's form; it hasn't been convincing over the last couple of weeks. A round of coffees on the line, I say. Done. Yeah, and a bacon and egg roll. <laughs> Let's go to Casey Fields <laughs> in Cranbourne East Sunday, eleven thirty a.m. The Casey Demons versus the Darabin Falcons. The Demons, their finals chances are on very thin ice after losing to the Saints on Sunday. Up against a Darabin side, fresh off that boil over against the Cats. No, I'm, I'm happy to make another claim here. I don't think Casey will be participating in finals. Um, their, their form, whilst they've been competitive in games and, and have shown glimpses and positive signs, they just really, um, they, they don't have that class to get them over the line. I know that we alluded to them before having some handy names at the top of the list, Myth and Birch, uh, some of the players that were their leading possession getters last week. But um, I just don't feel that they've got enough to get themselves over the, the line into a final spot. I think they'll win this weekend. I think Darabin have been up and about for a couple of weeks and maybe will be coming off a little bit of a high. Casey looking to respond after a poor performance on the weekend. So they should get it done at home. I'm going to be curious to see what condition Casey Fields is in because I saw some photos on social media last week that the ground was was uh, very chew, uh, chewed up. Um, so curious to see whether they've been able to rectify the, the ground surface issue at Casey Fields. Let's look ahead to the final two games of round 13 because these two games are eight-point matches in every sense of the word, and they'll both be live on RSN Carnival 2 and WARFradio.com from 12pm on air for the pre-game show for a 1pm bandstand at Queen's Park, courtesy of GoFooty.live. We first talk about the Geelong Cats and the NT Thunder. This is 7th versus 8th. The Cats could put themselves into the 6th and at the same time say bye-bye to the Thunder's finals chances. Yeah, I'm also going to make a, a statement here. I don't think the Northern Territory Thunder will be able to play finals, which means that Geelong is uh, the only one uh, in my calculations, I suppose, that uh, could potentially enter the top six. The, whoever the victim is, uh, be a surprise if Hawthorne drops out. But I just feel with the Northern Territory Thunder, yes, they're still within reach. Um, but I don't think their their consistency is good enough. I just... There's been times this season where we've watched them and go, wow, they are a good outfit, but it's not the the, the list for, for issues in terms of the, the travelling arrangements and, and personal circumstances for a number of players on their list. It is hard to keep a core group of players together consistently over a number of weeks. It's a challenge that they're aware of and that they identified early on and they did free up their program or change their program sorry, altered their program, I'll have three goes at it, to try and uh, allow uh, those players a little more flexibility in managing their their, uh, football programs, um, which I think may have just cost them a little bit of that continuity. They're not the same side that we saw this time last year, that even though they still had players coming in and out, they they were dominant on the park. Their brand of footy was really good. Um, I just... For one reason or another, they haven't been able to click this year. Yes, they've got some stars in the side, but I'm just really concerned about 
the impact that they could make if they did make the top six, six and as I said, I, th- I think their form is too inconsistent to be able to get in there come the final round of the season. The Cats, they're in a similar vein. They've had some good performances. They were building in the middle of the year. They've just Obviously, the loss on the weekend was was not expected. I think they would have penciled that in, but they did have a lot of youth. So it really depends the list that they put out onto the park this weekend. It is a crucial match for them and it almost decides whether or not they, they want to go for some glory or whether they're just happy with the development model um, this weekend. I think the Cats should get it done. But as I said, it'll depend on the list that comes out from both Geelong and also in a way from the Northern Territory Thunder. And the final game of the round, another eight-point match. It's fourth versus sixth. Bounce down 2.30pm Sunday as of time of recording. I did send a little cheeky tweet tagging in the Melbourne University and uh, Hawthorne Football Club suggesting, you know, if you started at 2.50pm, it would be really helpful to us uh, on RSN Carnival 2 and WAFradio.com. We plan at this stage of taking the call from quarter time. Perhaps the first quarter will be on our Facebook or Twitter pages. Keep an eye out for that on Sunday. But we'll definitely be bringing you most of Melbourne University versus Hawthorne. A chance for Melbourne Uni to try and get third or fourth spot on the table locked away and a chance to knock Hawthorne out of the six should the Cats win. Yeah, it's, as you said, an eight-point game. Um, Melbourne University, they've been red hot. Um, and I think that it was... It was indicated probably about six weeks ago when we went out to the GWS Giants game, chatting to, to Scotty Gowans after the game, and he said that they'd be looking to build a bit more consistency and continuity into the program for some of their experienced players in the uh, coming months at that point in time. So it, it seems to have worked. They've got some great players back on the park. They're putting in dominant performances Hawthorne's another side that's been really hard to get a judgment on this year. We know that they've got some star talent in that side, but they haven't really shown us what they were capable of uh, in the back end of last year and obviously going on to win the premiership. And to be on the verge of potentially dropping out of the top six is not a position I think they would have thought they would have been in at this point of the season. The buys probably come at a really good time for them, not only to freshen up, but also to to straighten up coming into the final few rounds of the home and away season. Um, I get the sense that they're going to take it up to Melbourne University, but it's hard to go against Melbourne University on current form and given the stars that they've been putting on the park week in and week out. So I'm going to tip Melbourne University at home. I think uh, Main Oval will be uh, still a bit uh, glue potty and and very mucky. So it should, uh, in a way, suit the, the brand and style that Melbourne University like, but that also should bring Hawthorne into play because they do like the contested ball as well. Um, it should be a close game. Melbourne University, I don't think, will have a dominant victory, but I am going to tip them to win, which means Hawthorne are in a spot of bother, particularly, as you said, if Geelong get over the line. Last time Melbourne Uni had a home game in the glue pot, they lost to Essendon. That's worth thinking about. I'm tipping the Hawks to win the game. Western Bulldogs to have the bye in round 13. Coxie, thanks very much for joining us again here on RSN Carnival 1 as part of our preview and review of the VFL Women's Competition. We look forward to your company next Wednesday at 6pm.
Yeah, so we've got, uh, what is it, around the coffee on uh, Collingwood Carlton and uh, bacon and egg roll on Melbourne University Hawthorne. And that concludes Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival for yet another week. Don't forget this program is available as a podcast by going to rsn.net.au, clicking on programs, then finding Women's Australian Rules Football Radio or find us on SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Podcasts or Apple Podcasts and search for Women's Australian Rules Football Radio. You can find us online at warfradio.com, on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash warfradio and Facebook at facebook.com forward slash warfradio. Until next Wednesday at 6pm Australian Eastern Standard Time, I'm Peter Holden. Thanks for your company and it's bye for now.